it was a long time, you know, the first three years that I was running this company where we would say, hey, we need bulleted images. Hey, we need a video. We need this. And we kept pushing our brands to get us more stuff. And at some point, it just made sense to stop asking and start giving them stuff. Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. Today I'm talking to Tyler from the great tool Channel Op. Now, Tyler, um, tell me a bit about yourself. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dober. Um, and my company is Channel Op. We're an Amazon agency. So we essentially do all things Amazon. Right now it's about 30 or so brands that we work with directly. We're essentially like their in-house team that takes care of all things Amazon, A to Z, all the advertising, all the, you know, listing setup, FBA inventory, you know, nuts to bolts, everything that we can do for them. And the way that we work um, is we have, you know, brand managers that work directly with our brands. They're the point of contact for each one of them. And then we bill on a monthly basis based on the sales in the channel. Okay, great. Quick sum up of the company. So you take all the pain from the shop owners that want to list on Amazon or that want to start as a brand on Amazon Correct. and you do all the listing, all the inventory management, all this stuff that shop owners don't want to do. Correct. Yeah. So a lot of my brands are you know, fairly significant brands that have a pretty good brick and mortar presence, a pretty good website presence. And Amazon just kind of becomes that extra thing that they don't want to spend all their time on. Or if they do, they end up you know, dropping balls in other areas. And mm -hmm. so we try to take that right off their plate, be you know, a carefree, easy-to-use experience, uh, as well as you know, because we do it with a lot of different brands, hopefully we have a, you know, a bit more expertise and are able to get things done a little bit better, grow, grow the sales a little bit faster. Awesome. Um, how did you get into e-commerce? Great question. It was a little bit of luck, to be honest. Um, so in 2013, I graduated with my MBA from an awesome school in Boston called Babson College. Um, I got my degree essentially at Babson is an entrepreneurship school. So the whole time I'm there, you know, it's pounded into you like, what would you do if we were starting a company or how would you run this if you were the owner of the company? And so I had that itch and that bug that I really wanted my own company. That being said, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I, I was one of those people that was always like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a great idea. And so I kept kind of just like always glomming onto other people's ideas and thinking that's such a cool idea. Um, after I graduated, my first real job was with this company called River Runners. And they were based out of Park City, Utah. And essentially, they were an Amazon retailer. So you hear about all these people like Quiver or you know, net rush that buy inventory and then sell it on Amazon. And so that was my first job out of my MBA. And I was essentially thrown really deep into the end of the pool. Um, I showed up the first day, they were like, Hey, we have some stuff in a warehouse, we need to get into Amazon. I have a few meetings to get to. Can you take care of it? 
And so I was learning Amazon and Seller Central like from the just myself, just experimenting and trying stuff. And so lucky there was a few people in the warehouse that had like five minutes here and there to kind of point me in the right direction. <laughs> and so I just started selling as much as I could. Um, luckily, they had a handful of brands that they already had relationships with. So I was writing kios to them, getting it shipped in Amazon FBA. And we did, you know, like a million five in our first year of business. And so it was a really great experience of learning how to just sell as much as possible on Amazon. Um, and then shortly thereafter, there was a whole lot of conflict between the two partners that founded it. Um, we lost a key hire here and there. And so it just felt like the company wasn't going to be as big as I was expecting or hoping. And so then I kind of had this idea of instead of being the person who buys inventory and just sells it on Amazon, um, why can't we just be the agency that does all the work for them and they essentially have their inventory sell on Amazon? So all these brands individually. One of the big reasons that came to mind was we had a lot of toy companies. And so post-Christmas, our returns were just piling up. I filled three offices with just boxes of Amazon. And so um, all these Amazon returns, and I was never going to get to them. I was too busy refilling POs and trying to keep the, you know, shoveling coal to keep the engine going. There was no chance I was ever going to open up those boxes and try to get them, you know, whether or not they were good enough to sell again or, you know, donate or whatever it may be. And so I was like, all these brands already have reverse logistics. Can I just send it back to them? And so that was kind of the start of the idea of becoming an agency and not have to deal directly with the inventory. And instead, just taking a percentage from mm -hmm. what they were selling. And Can I, I said, ask what percentage do you take? Um, it's a tiered out pricing. So at the high end, it's 10%. At the low end, it's 2%. It really depends on how much you sell on that yeah. channel. Yeah, and makes sense. So, um, the more you sell, essentially, the less I take. And it's really just to be fair to the brands because managing a you know million dollar a month sales account is not drastically harder than $100,000 a month. Mm. And so our percentage goes down accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. Understand. Um, what sets the uh, channel up apart from your competition? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, the thing that I think that I point to most often is we have an experienced team that has just been, you know, capable of doing lots of amount of work and doing it in an efficient way. And so it's it's essentially the team and all of our SOPs and all the experience that we've been running for a long time. So we have about 10 people um, located in Utah. And so that's kind of my like local team that we work together. And a lot of the brand managers are in that group. Um, and then we also have a team in the Philippines that's been with me since day one as well. And a lot of them have, you know, three, four years worth of tenure with me. And they're kind of like the, the background of everything that we do. And so stuff like making sure all your listings stay active on Amazon. I have brands that have, you know, 600, 700 SKUs. On any given day, Amazon shuts down one or two of them just for whatever reason it may be. Returns or some sort of issue with the listing or, you know whatever it may be on any given day. And that team in the Philippines is on it already. And so before we even wake up, they're fixing those issues. Stuff stays active. They're the ones building us all the reports that my team reviews. And so they have all the, you know, download all the CSVs, compile everything for us. And so having that team that really does all the, like the block and tackle stuff to, to allow us to kind of think a little bit higher level about the brands. And so that really helps out to have an experienced team that can get things done. Um, in my experience, and I've worked with almost every single software tool out there over the past five years, 
they always do something like 70% of what you want. And that last 30% is still left to a person. And so I don't ever hate software, but I never really love software. And so I've always found that having good people is that like thing that fills in those gaps. And so having a human that could actually look at a report and make sure that there's not issues um, helps a whole lot to have experienced yeah. people in the area. Yeah. And um, what is my stage as a company when I want to sell online? When should I come to you? Good question. So we've worked with all comers over the years. Generally speaking, a lot of the really fresh ones and new ones are referrals from our current brands. And so that's usually the reason that I say yes to a lot of those is I kind of want to be nice to the, my current roster and say like, oh yeah, sure, we'll take one of your friends and see what we can do to help them out. But there's a lot of brands that are just starting out that don't really have the budgets or really the, the time and energy that it's going to take to grow the on Amazon really quickly. And so that, that being said, some of those early stage ones, I'll work with them, but sometimes it's not a great fit. And sometimes, you know, I do have a monthly minimum fee of $1,000 a month right now, and that's probably going to go up again in 2022. So if you're not selling at least, you know, five to $10,000 a month on Amazon, you're not going to even break even on my, my service. So yeah. you want to make sure that you have at least that. Brands that really do well with me are usually doing somewhere in the range of five to $10 million at least throughout their entire retail. So brick and mortar, their website, as well as Amazon. If they're doing five to 10 million in all of those channels, there's usually enough um, brand presence, brand awareness that we're able to capitalize on their brand name a little bit more. So the advertising dollars are a lot more efficient and we're able to grow the channel a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and um, do you do also the Amazon ads? So are you are you running those ads on, on your end and the customer typically pays the media budget, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We work directly with our brands to set a budget. A lot of the times at the beginning, it's a budget on dollar amount. And then mm -hmm. usually it transitions into a budget based on efficiency. So return on ad spend usually becomes a target. There's obviously better returns on like branded terms. So stuff that has your brand name in it will have a you know really efficient return on ad spend versus like your category keywords and your you know competitor keywords that you might be advertising against. And so setting targets on each one of those types of ads is usually what we get to. And so that my team can maybe have essentially unlimited budget as long as we're returning X. That's usually where we get to with most of our brands. Mm-hmm. Now, let's assume that someone is selling a premium product uh, on Amazon. Um, go about making sure that potential customers are really aware of its quality. How are you doing that? So how are you presenting those higher priced products to make them really valuable on Amazon? Good question, which is actually pretty tough to do sometimes. Because Amazon, it's Amazon's world, right? They have their rules and they have their exactly their format that they want to have their pages look like. And so there's not a lot of flexibility in, you know, what you're going to be having available to you. You know, you get your standard six or seven images usually that we run. We usually try to have a video. Um, you have your A-plus content. And so it's in those areas where you really have to do your, you know, all of the prep work, all of the stuff to show off your brand. Um, the thing that seems to help a lot and the thing that a lot of brands do pretty well, um, but a lot are still missing is um, like just having branded and keyworded images. So instead of having just a 
you know, product on a white background is always going to be image one. That's the rule of Amazon. But your second image can be, you know, product on a white background with all the key features pointed out. And so you really want to highlight what makes your product different. And again, on mobile, a lot of people aren't even reading the bullets on Amazon because they're so below the fold. And so making sure that you get the bullets and the key features listed out in those images does help a lot to get those conversion, um, especially on a higher priced item. Um, the other thing is maybe having a good video and you can also run video ads on Amazon. And so having those running so that it can kind of get across the message of what your product is. And then again, um, company mission stuff is usually highlighted really well in A plus content. So we have certain companies that are, you know, B Corps or have various, um, affiliations where they're trying to take plastic out of the oceans and those type of missions and really highlighting that mission driven brand. We usually try to do that in the A plus content. And so talk about what the, the mission is of the brand and why, why this product may be an extra $10 over their competitors and what they're doing in order to be sustainable on the planet. Mm -hmm. And is there any um, fraud or scam that I can uh, see on, on Amazon? Are the people refunding for no reason or getting the goods just for a few weeks and sending them back? What do you experience with that? I don't have too much experience with that. So um, luckily, Amazon's algorithms are pretty good at catching um, you know, fraudsters and such. All of my brands utilize Amazon FBA. And so all of the fulfillment is done by Amazon. And a lot of the customer service is done by Amazon as well. So if a customer is looking to return it, they're usually talking to an Amazon customer rep. And Amazon will have a history of all their returns and whether or not this person is you know, trying to take advantage of the system. And... You can also, whenever someone does initiate a return, you can always dispute that with Amazon as well. And so if the person initiates a return and maybe they return you, you know, this does happen. If you get a thousand returns in a month, there's a lot of times it's not your product. There's a lot of the times where, you know, they're sending back some random thing. Maybe they bought six, six items and returned the wrong one. And so there's the occasional cases like that. But I don't feel like it's a systematic thing where we... Um, We just, you know, make sure we double check all those types of things. And so we have yeah. your system process. And so, but it doesn't feel like we're getting too good to advantage. The area where I worry about fraud more than anything is like third-party tools that I work with. And so like occasionally you'll have people that will try to sell you on, you know, getting reviews on your products or getting, you know, more traffic to your products and all of those like third-party You know, outside Amazon initiated traffic, that feels like the area where it's most ripe with fraud. And it feels like there's a lot of like fly by night um, stuff. And so that's the area where I really try to get like good recommendations from other people in my world, other agencies, other people that have been in the you know trenches as long as I have and saying like, hey, I'm thinking about using this third party. Um, does anyone have any references here? Do they have any you know reason that I shouldn't be using them? Um, and so that's the kind of area where I want to make sure that we're not, you know, investing too much money in a third-party tool that ends up just doing something that's majorly against terms of service and gets our account shut down or, you know, is just doing something that's milking money out of my clients somehow. Yeah. So um, tools are not your biggest favorite. No. <laughs> As you know, but anyway, I mean, yeah, I it, it depends, no. especially on, on FBA, <laughs> for instance, there are not many tools needed actually, because FBA is really, yeah, maybe just uh, sending the stock information um, uh, back to the order or purchase software to, to order a new stock uh, at the right time, something like that. Um, or getting the orders in the in the in the inventory or accounting management software, but there is uh, actually not much to do, right? Yep. So we 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 do use tools 
quite often. So I'll at least try it. So like my advertising team, I'll check with them probably every other month and say like, hey, is there any new tools out there that you like or that you want to try? Is it going to make you more efficient? But at the same time, um, you know how they say like, if you put your arm in a cast, right? And so that's sometimes what a tool feels like is it feels like you're putting your team in a cast. And so they're using this tool and all of a sudden they're not using the same muscles they used to use in decision-making. And maybe those, those same thinking and you know, muscles that come along with that process start to atrophy. And so like my team is really good at bid management. They're, they're, they'll manually download reports, review reports. They have some tools of their own that they've built in order to try to optimize you know, thousands of keywords at a time. And if I give them a tool that's going to do a lot of that for them, is that going to start becoming a blind spot for my team? So they're like, oh no, the tool's got this. And so I'll focus on everything else. And then if the tool doesn't have it, all of a sudden, we're the one on the hook with my clients. So at the end of the day, I still have to answer to those clients either way, whether I hire the tool or whether we're doing it ourselves. And so we want to make sure that we work with tools that are actually going to do exactly what we hoped um, and not create any blind spots on my team. Do you do the listing directly in Amazon or do you have any e-commerce stack behind that and, and try to, to do the listings with the software or have everything in one place? So... With a lot of our brands, they usually have you know under 100 SKUs. And so in that yeah. situation, we can do flat files. We can modify stuff manually pretty easily, and it doesn't take too much time. Um, if someone were to come to me with like six or 7,000 SKUs and say, hey, we want to get all of these set, set up on Amazon, we'd definitely be using some software in that area. Mm-hmm. And so there's stuff like out there that we want to try. Like Salsify is a tool that some of these like brands are using in order to arrange and order their content and manage their content. And so using tools like that can really help in order to make sure that we have the ideal bullets, the ideal images, and also having some way to communicate with our brands about what we have and what we need. And so mm-hmm. we do that on a pretty regular basis. Really, it's become in the last two years or so that we started building out teams that are going to build content for our brands. Um, so it was a long time, you know, the first three years that I was running this company where we would say, hey, we need bulleted images. Hey, we need a video. We need this. And we kept pushing our brands to get us more stuff. And at some point, it just made sense to stop asking and start giving them stuff. And so we, we started getting teams that can... Really need know, to agree. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, we send we send them, you know, hey, what do you think of this mock-up instead of asking for something from them? Yeah. And so that way they get involved in the editing process, but maybe not on the creation side. Yeah. Uh, bringing a shop owner to create something new is really hard. Right. I can absolutely understand that problem. They all need um, a, a little bit of help. Um, if, if they are mostly not marketers. They are, um, yeah, sellers. Salespeople with 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 inventory, and they're used to that, and not doing the marketing stuff. And it's really great to have someone in the back end that is taking care about all this, um, yeah, annoying things. Absolutely, and I mean, some of my teams have good marketing people, but they also generally have you know teams that they're working with. So third parties, they're outsourcing a lot of their image creation, and they're yeah. you know they have photographers that they're working with, and so. If I can take some of those billable hours down, you know, instead of having their photographer go in and edit a ton of images, um, you know, working with them to get a good template for what they like, and you know, get them, you know, if a, if a brand has a good, you know, color scheme, fonts, whatever they have that they really like, so getting on the same page there, but then having my team go in and do some of the like grunt work of just 
creating the bulleted images, creating that kind of stuff, and then presenting it to the brand so that they could say, you know, this looks great, or this are some of the changes that I'd make. Um, that kind of stuff has helped a lot. And so that's been one of the perks of getting to the size we are now is we have a little bit of extra capacity on the team to do that kind of work for our brands. Yeah. What role, if any, does automation play in your operations? So I would love it to be playing a bigger role. So that's one of those like dream words it feels like sometimes where, again, the dream never seems to live up to my expectations. Um, we've used, you know, restocking software every once in a while that, you know, promises to automate that and make it really clean. And then sometimes you don't click the right box and it gives you the wrong projection. And then my team, again, because they, they're not used to running it themselves, ends up stocking way worse than they would have if they would have just almost ran their own Excel charts. And so I would say there's very little automation, but there is a lot of standardization. I'll use that word. And so my team has a lot of SOPs where it's like, hey, for this process, this is the nine steps you need to take to check this down. For this process, these are the 12 steps it's going to take to check this down with screenshots and ideas. And essentially, those SOPs also have to be updated every you know three to six months because Amazon keeps changing everything. And so whenever they do, they get rid of entire processes in my company. Um, The most frequent one becoming, you know, like we used to be able to reply to reviews. So that was a service that we provided all of my brands. So whenever they got like a three star below review, my team would go in and give a, you know, a seller or a branded reply to those negative reviews, which never really takes away the hurt of a negative review, but at least it kind of shows that the brand is still backing the product and maybe we can make it right with that customer. Um, but when Amazon gets rid of that, option, that takes out an entire process for my customer service team. And so now we're like, okay, well, that took out you know 12 to 15 hours a week that that person was using to reply to those negative reviews. Um, what else are we going to do? So trying to figure out what the next step is to make sure that we can actually go in and you know get the right type of message in for our brands. And that might be the Q&A section. We might be investing more time in that area now in order to make sure the right questions are getting asked and the right questions are getting answered. Mm -hmm. Got it. Really great. So um, this is a lot of things that um, needs to be considered when you're just selling on Amazon. Did you always uh, already think about um, doing the same part for eBay or any other marketplace out there? Walmart? Great question. So we've experimented with all of the other marketplaces from time to time. So we kind of essentially dip our toes with one of our brands and say, hey, we're selling X on Amazon. How much do we think we can do on one of these other marketplaces? And you know, three years ago, we did an experiment with a brand doing, you know, something like 70 or 80k a month on Amazon. And they we went to eBay and we were doing after four or five months of investment, it was still under three thousand dollars a month. And so it felt like it didn't merit the investment and the time. And the brand again didn't really feel like we needed to be there. Um, the one that becomes more and more interesting every day is definitely Walmart online. Yep. Um, Walmart online three years ago didn't have advertising. And so whenever we ran experiments there, it really felt like there wasn't a ton to do here. There wasn't a lot of options to grow the brand. Essentially, you were just going to get the sales that you were going to get. And it didn't feel like there was a lot of work to make it better. But over the last few years, they started investing. You know, they acquired Jet a few years ago. That was absolutely a big thing for them. I'm sure they got a really good team and a lot of smart people there. And they were able to start thinking more and more about their online marketplace. So I think 
Walmart will probably be the next one that we're going to be investing more time in. Um, and also the fact that they're starting to roll out FBA-like options and trying to get slightly more competitive with Amazon on ship dates. I think that's going to be a big sign of things. Amazon is one-day delivery anywhere in the US. That's a huge selling point on their platform. Definitely, if Walmart, yeah. if Walmart can catch up on some of that and you know start delivering two-day delivery, that kind of stuff, I think that's going to be a big differentiator that'll allow them to grow. Um, and honestly, I, I've been recruiting out of there as well. So um, in Salt Lake City, there was a big jet.com campus. And you know when all those people got converted to Walmart online, um, they've becoming one of my recruiting spots. And so I've gotten a lot of really good people out of there. And so I have people that know the systems and tools there already. And so we're ready to go when we want to pull the trigger. Um, there is still a stigma a little bit with Walmart sometimes with some of my brands. So like you said, if it's a high-end um, premium product, sometimes they don't want to be at Walmart. But I, I think there's less stigma with Walmart.com. So Walmart Online, I think, has a less of a stigma than maybe the brick and mortar. And yeah. so that's a conversation we have with all of our brands. And again, it's, it, it's a conversation we have about like, hey, we're selling X on Amazon. Here's our estimate of what we think we could do on Walmart Online. Do you want to pull the trigger and do you want to roll, roll with us? And so that, that definitely comes up. Very interesting. Learned a lot today. Thank you so much for your time. Now tell me a last thing. Um, who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? Good question. So... Um, there's someone in the Utah ecosystem that everyone knows. And it was the guy who gave me my first job. His name's JL Needham. Him and I still chat every once in a while. And he's, he's been a bit of a mentor to me. Um, Jason Meyer was the, one of the other founders of River Runners. And he, again, has been a mentor to me and someone that I can go to, especially when I'm having like tough moments and really hard, hard decisions to make. Um, there's another man, um, in Salt Lake, uh, Spencer Milliberg. I, I was, he was the one that I blackboarded my idea with when I started my company. And so I, I would go to him at nights after I got off work and say, hey, I got this idea. And I'd start writing it up on the whiteboard and he would poke as many holes as he could and um, honestly didn't deter me, but um, definitely made the idea better and a lot stronger. So those are some of the guys that I worked with quite a bit, especially in the founding of my company. Um, right now, my director of operations is a really bright woman by the name of Kimberly Lynch. And she's the one who I bounce ideas off of every day. She keeps me awesome. honest, keeps me smart, um, and honestly is, uh, plays devil's advocate perfectly to how all of my ideas. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. Really was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, learned a lot today, as usual, um, especially when you sell on Amazon, um, make it the right way. Yeah, Search, search for in, a, 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 someone that really can put time and energy on your listings. It doesn't <clears throat> matter if you have 10 SKUs or 1,000 or 5,000 SKUs. When you list it, then make it good, make a perfect listing, make good assets, um, and, and really, um, yeah, be, be perfect on Amazon. Other than that, you're not able to sell. Absolutely. It's a lot of work, but you know, it's the biggest marketplace in the world. I think the joke that I tell people all the time is when I started my company, my sales pitch was why you should be on Amazon. Yeah. And that was an interesting time back in like, Honestly, it was only five, six years ago, 2015, when people were like, I don't really know if I need to be there. Um, and that conversation went away real quick over the last few years. And so now everyone wants to be there. 
It's just, again, do they have the time? Do they have the capacity? Do they have the expertise? And hopefully my team uh, fills that role perfectly for a lot of brands. Perfect. Thanks so much. And Absolutely. yeah, good luck. Thank you, Robert. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.